for reading in chapter 4, would you please? Or chapter 5, excuse me. Chapter 5, and uh, verse number uh, 39, Gamaliel uh, finishes and says, but if it be of God, you can overthrow it. Lest happily you be found to fight against God. He said, look, if, you, if it's of God, you're going to lose. Your arm's too short to box with him. Verse number 40, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And then verse 41, would you read it with me, would you, everyone? And they departed from the presence of the council. Boy, isn't that something? They're beaten, they're bloody, they're hurting physically, but they're rejoicing that God counted them worthy to go through a difficult time for his name. Verse 42, let's read that too. And daily in the temple and in every house, when is civil disobedience uh, okay? It's when you have a higher obedience to God. He said, you don't talk about God. He said, well, that's, that's something you can figure that out, but we're going to do it. And they turned around and started doing it again. In the temple, in every house, they didn't stop. As a result of the word of God going out, they still kept soul winning. They kept telling folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. In this very difficult season of their life, physically, emotionally, I'm sure that some of their wives, as they began to take care of their wounds or trying to take on what all happened, and the people of the church saw their pastor come in beaten and bloodied and, and hurting, but at the same time saying, hey, it's okay, guys. We can rejoice that God counted us worthy to suffer as our Savior did. And we just got to keep going out there and telling folks about Christ. But what was the byproduct of that? Look at chapter 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was, that's a mathematical number, now we're talking about multiplication, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then... The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, or it's not reasonable, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and whom we may appoint over this business. I want you to just notice a couple things here that takes place. Number one, as a result of the gospel going out in the temple and in every house, People talking about Jesus Christ, the multitudes grow. With growth always comes problems. And uh, we're going to find here is the second problem that surfaces here in this good church. When you think about this church, think about a good church or a bad church. I'd say it's a good church. But it's a church that has problems. It has problems. Problems in churches normally come from two different sources. One is structural problems. Communication, someone's getting disappointed, someone else is getting neglected. It's a structural problem. One of the challenges of First Baptist Church, I spoke to a man about it today, is just structural. People, we, we, have, we have ways in which we look at things, and, and that means this person has to cooperate with this person. And sometimes I wonder, well, I talked to them, but they didn't talk to him, and this didn't happen, and there's a structural breakdown. Every organization has it, and the church has it. Church as a general rule is a little more loose than even the corporate rules are oftentimes because we're, we're managed by a spiritual, a spiritual operation. We're a spiritual organism. We don't have to, to dot our eyes and do things just like the world does them. 
And matter of fact, the world thinks the things of Christ and the word of God and the preaching of the Christ is foolishness. I mean, there's things we can learn from corporate America, but the truth of the matter is, it's not a corporation. It's an organism. It's a lively organism, and, it's, and, it, and it works differently, and the Spirit of God moves. And there are things that we would do differently that may or not even logical, whether it be, whether it be giving. And I remember one time I had a sweet friend. He's here this evening, and he, is, uh, he asked me in, 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 in sincere and in a respectful way. He said to me, he said, Pastor, we have debt at our church, and you're trying to encourage us to support missions with regularity. You're wanting us to get more missionaries. You're challenging us to give more aggressively to missions. Let's stop doing the missions giving, and let's focus on our debt. And quite frankly, from a logical standpoint, that makes sense. Because after we got our debt paid, we would be able to give more. But what happens for the 10 years we're waiting to get our debt paid? To people around the world who are not saved. To missionaries who need support. And who's to say that after our debt's paid, now all of a sudden we'll get a big heart for missions? Because heart for missions is generated by giving. That man is now one of the strongest giving men in our church for world events. He believes in it. He, he serves the Lord in that way. He's all, in, all engaged in that situation. But he was thinking things from a logical standpoint. Logically, that makes sense. But biblically... God has given us a responsibility. And where our treasure is, there are you know, people who enjoy missions, reports, people who give. People who give to mission are interested in that. They're interested in where, where are people getting saved or what's going on there. You want to you really bottom out your interest in spiritual things? Stop giving. <laughs> but when it comes to giving, stop at nothing. Just don't. I think it's one of the reasons God wants us to give, and he will give, and it shall be given unto you. It's a biblical principle. But we find here that, that things that are logical in the world sometimes are illogical in the work of the God. It doesn't always have to make sense. But however, problems surface, and they surface in, in structural areas, and they, they, they surface in social areas. Most times, and if you've ever had a, been in church very long, you know you've been to a few tense meetings in church. And usually if someone's neglected, someone's not getting the attention or, the, or, or they're not, things are not being done the way they think they should be done, structurally, it gets our dandruff up. Or it's socially. And here, both of these were happening. It was a social thing. They had two groups of people, the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows. The Grecian widows, they're oftentimes called Hellenists. And they were Jewish people that were born outside of Israel. And they spoke the Greek language primarily, if I understand correctly. The Hebrews are the ones, widows, who are from that area. They were born in Israel. They spoke Aramaic. As their, as their trade language, that kind of a thing. Well, now there's neither Greek or Hebrew, and all is Christ, and Christ is all, and everybody's together. However, this church grew very rapidly. And with the numbers of people accelerated, there were widows quickly who had a lot of needs. People who, they were widows indeed. And we spoke about how that happened sometimes because of the widow's decision to get saved, to follow the Lord in baptism. 
they were put away from their families. Judaizers would say, you know, Mom, I, man, you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to, you're not going to, I'm not taking care of you anymore if you're going to go to that church, if you're going to be worshiping this, this dead Jew, Christ, that they're talking about. You're done. And she would be indigent, and they would have to be taking care of them, or there would be folks who would, who would have now the, 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 the church family to take care of them. And now there was a lot of them, and then the, the girls are from out of town, the Hellenist Jews, were looking around, and they saw the girls that, that uh, the, the widows that were from the area, these girls uh, seemed like if they said, we need some help, boy, people came and helped them. But they, didn't, they were getting the leftovers if they were getting attended at all. They were being neglected. And then there was complaining, murmuring. The Bible tells us do all things without murmuring and disputing. I wonder, how many, I wonder if we could learn that one lesson. I wonder how many things would be better in the work of God. Murmuring is wrong regardless of that, of anything else. You see something that's wrong? Murmuring. I don't know exactly what the definition of murmuring would be, but I do believe it would entail this. It would be saying something negative about something that you, you don't understand or don't appreciate or don't like to someone that can do nothing about the problem. It means taking negative information murmuring about it, complaining about it to somebody who cannot fix it. Who someone is not in, in, a, in an authority to do that. And God says do it without murmuring. I think murmuring is always a sin. It always is counterproductive to what God's trying to do in our hearts and life. I don't think that identifying problems is a sin. I don't say, I don't know if that's right. Well, we've got to fix that. This is something that's not right, not structurally right, not socially right. There was a problem. And there's going to be a problem in First Baptist Church of Hammond. There'll be a problem if you say, well, I'm going to go to a smaller church. You'll find problems too. When you show up, you'll be one of their bigger ones. I'm just joking. Yeah, we're going to have problems. As long as, this is not a church problem. This is a human problem. Do you think they have structural problems at Wrigley Field? Do you think they have social problems at Lear Industries? You think they have any problems at IBM, Apple? Oh, yeah, it's everywhere because there's human beings in all those organizations. It's a human problem, but now there's a problem. And every church has problems to confront. It doesn't make it a bad church because there's a problem. It makes it a moving church. And by the way, the more we do and the more a church does for the glory of God and for the salvation of souls and the development of disciples, I think Satan is going to give a little more attention to that. Now, if Satan fell off the world tomorrow, we'd still have, we'd still have problems on Tuesday just with us. Okay? We blame a lot on Satan. But the Bible does say that we wrestle not with, you're not my problem, and I've never been your problem. I am a problem, but I don't think I'm your problem. Our problem is not walking around on two legs. we got a problem a lot more uh, invisible than that. And principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. That's going on. But even without Satan, if he were X out of thing, you and I would have some issues with society and our own selfishness. And selfishness here has caused a problem. So I think every church, number one, you have problems to confront. We have problems to address. Anybody who's a dad, a husband, you're a manager at work, you're going to have some problems. 
And in the church, there are problems to, to address. I don't like that part. There are many ways and many opinions about how to handle problems, but I just want to say this. A good church has problems. Number two, we have priorities that we need to consider. We have problems. We have priorities that we can consider. Let's look at this real quickly. What was the priority? Here we got a problem. The problem is we got a bunch of widow ladies who are screaming and hollering at each other because they're being neglected. Sister over here is getting macaroni and cheese casserole, and I haven't even got a piece of bread yet. She's getting her bills paid and her lawn made, and my lawn's going up all high, and no one's caring about me. They're, 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 now there's a murmuring going out, and, and, and people are complaining. And the 12 look around at each other and say, look, let me talk to you guys. Let's get, let's get the church together. And he got the men together at least, and they said, look, it's not reasonable. And we're not above this as pastors and as the leaders. It's not reasonable, though. We have been with Jesus for us to leave the prayer closet and the study and the preaching and discipling and winning people to Christ. I don't think it was only just standing up in front of everybody. He said, we need to get the word of God out. And at that time, there was not a word of God, so they had what Jesus had told them. They had been with Jesus. He said, it's not reasonable. We're not above cleaning, cleaning houses, mowing grass, providing food for widows. But it's not the best practice because of a priority. You know, church, one of the reasons God gave us a church is to hear God's word and to make it a house of prayer. One of your goals that, uh, that you should have for your leaders is that they would be spirit-filled, Men of prayer and the scriptures. Sometimes we get upset with things. Well, I just don't like what this happened at church. It has nothing to do with this prayer or the word of God. Well, I just thought it was a little hot in the auditorium this morning. I don't, I don't appreciate it. I don't even think the usher was, was awake during the service. Or whatever we want to say. A lot of things are like, well, I, I, just, you know, I want my kids to have a little bit different thing, and I don't like this. Boy, they, maybe there's a structure or a social problem I want to say, but you can complain till the cows come home about that stuff. But the priority of a church is prayer and the Word of God, getting the Word of God out, praying for the filming and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, not making you comfortable and making me comfortable. I wonder how many people have just hopped from church to church because I just like this, and that's what I want in church. I want something for my kid. I want this right here. The truth of the matter is what you say, am I going to hear what the Bible says? Is there going to be a place where I can pray with God's people and I can experience the power of God? I can experience the propagation of the gospel of Christ. In this problem, they considered their priority. Number three, the answer to the problem came in the people. The people figured out together, and they said, look here, let's get out men who are holy men, who are filled with the Spirit, full of faith. They've got a good testimony in the community, and let's let these men service these widows. And it's interesting, Stephen and Philip, probably two of the, of the Hebrew names, it doesn't look like it was a power play, where they were trying to, get, trying to get someone in charge. By the way, these were servants, people who would serve. By the way, where are deacons? The whole name means a servant. 
And I thank God for the godly men that God has given to this church, wonderful servants of Christ. They necessarily weren't governing the church. They weren't overseeing that. They were there to serve, and they were to put things together. And God solved a problem through men, seven of them, two of which, which I know is Stephen and, and, and Philip, Jewish men, probably Hebrews. The other one, if you'll look at their name, Prochorus, Teman, Amenius, they, they, were, they were Greek names. They, they found men who would, Greek, who would be Greek, who would be Hellenist, to care for those ladies in particular and to care for them. I just say to you, I say tonight, listen, every church has problems. Every church has to consider what is the priority here? How is this going to matter in light of eternity? I love sports, but the truth of the matter is, I don't even know who won the Super Bowl last year. I can't remember if my life depended upon it right now. I don't remember who won the baseball, the, the, the Super Bowl, or the, uh, the, the World Series two years ago. I don't know. I watched it probably, and I probably enjoyed it and everything. I don't know. Because you know what the truth of the matter is? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I think I could probably identify quite a few people in this room by name that got saved in the last two years. Could do that. Why? Because people matter. The gospel matters. And there's a priority. You know, people get saved. Someone has to tell them the Bible. <laughs> Someone has to pray. Somebody has to support the work of the Lord to make that happen. But problems are in every church. Problems have to be looked through in what is priority here. What's the most priority? And then people step up and they fix problems. You know, every member of this church is important. No member is insignificant. And no member is irreplaceable. Doesn't matter who you are, you're important to the house of God and to the body of Christ. Uh, doesn't matter who you are, you are not irreplaceable. If you fell off the planet today, the church would march on tomorrow, including the pastor. God knows how to take care of his church. It's not, it's not our church, it's not your church, it's his. God can use it. I have to imagine when, when Pastor James was beheaded by Herod, Maybe about 12 years into this early church, I, I, I read one man's, uh, one man's story. If that was true, you know, what happened? The next day, someone next man up. Who's the next pastor? Who's going to help us move on? Who's going to get on? I don't, think, I don't think it went on without some tears and sorrow. But God uses people. Let me tell you something. God uses prepared people. I don't think, and we can see the names, the first two guys there, Philip and Philip and uh, Stephen, they were not Cocoa Puffs. These guys were strong. If you don't believe it, read the rest of chapter 6 and 7. This guy, he knew he was going to die. It had already been predetermined he was going to go away. And they knew, he knew that, and he gave it to them both barrels. I was just, as I, as I read this this week, I thought, good night in the morning. Here he is, he goes through the Old Testament like they're little kindergartners and never heard this before. And he's talking to all the Sanhedrin, these rulers and these religious leaders, and he talks about, and remember our father Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Joseph. And he just goes through those things, and I just imagine these people like this, and all of a sudden, and then he brought Jesus, and you killed him! And then they go, ah! They get mad at him and go, and some of them went over there and bit him. I mean, that gets really mad when you go bite somebody. I haven't done that yet. I haven't got that mad. But boy, they get over there, and then they take him out of the city and stone him and kill him. But he's, he's not a weakling. He's a man that is prepared. He's spiritual. He's got wisdom. 
He's got a good testimony, and God uses him. And the ultimate blessing out of this thing, oh, it was a serious problem. It was, it was complicated by the murmuring of people. But then they evaluated their priorities. They chose out some men. And as a result of that, you see, it goes back to the gospel preaching again. Let's look at what it says, and we'll conclude tonight. Look, if you would, please, after this all happened. Verse 7, look at it and read it with me. And the word of God, hey, more of the word of God was gotten out. And the number of the disciples did what? Yeah, the more of the word of God, the more that we witness, we tell folks about the Lord, the more that we share the gospel with people the more it multiplies disciples in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests. This is huge. Even some of the priests become obedient to the faith. And then verse number eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. And of course, you're going to find that there is an argument taking place with Jews from out of town that platforms Stephen and he'll preach the gospel to his death and be obedient to death. It's an amazing story. I want to have a good church, don't you? I want to be committed to the house of God. I do believe in it with all my heart. But I also believe that, yes, leadership and lordship and partnership, I see that there's prayer and power and preaching, and then the proclamation of the gospel and persecution comes. But I want to see, and you do too, if you have any sense at all, you would want your life to be used to bring others to Jesus, and then those who are brought to Jesus to be made disciplined followers of Christ, that they be multiplied. And that's going to happen when we handle problems, looking at the priorities, people stepping up, and saying, you know what, what does God put me on the planet to do? One of the best things you can do is find out why God put you here and say, Lord, help me to do that. I had a lady say to me today, she said, Pastor, I do not want to waste a lot of time finding out what God wants me to do. I know I'm from a small church, but I, want to, I know it's a big church. But i got to find out, would you help me try to find out what it is? I talked to a lady today. She said, Pastor, in one month, I want to get on a bus route. Number two, I've worked 15 years with, educably, uh, uh, with, the, with the children who have educable um, disabilities. Because I know that God put me in that before I got saved. I never went to a church before December 30th of, this, of 2020. I didn't hold a Bible in my hand. I didn't understand here a message until June, July 6th, but now I'm saved. I'm baptized. I've gone through discipleship. I want to be a member of this church, but I believe God wants me to work in the sunbeams to help little children because I've been prepared for that, using their gifts to do something for God. Why? So that the gospel can be preached and disciples can be made.